Revelation chapter 16. Several months ago, Brenda and I, we were coming home from uh, the Bay Area. We'd gone up there to see my daughter, Caitlin, and her husband, Zach, who's here leading worship for us today. And uh, moving back home, thank you, Jesus. Anyway, we were up there to see them, and uh, we were coming home, and we were in the L.A. area. We'd been driving for, for several hours, and there was a truck that was a ways ahead of us, and there was a five-gallon bucket in the back of the truck, and it fell out of the back of the truck. And the, we didn't see it happen, and apparently neither did the guy that was directly behind him. He saw it at the last possible second and swerved and just barely missed crashing into the bucket. That was good news for him. It was bad news for me because by the time he was out of, out of the way of the bucket, I was right on top of it. I had no warning time whatsoever, and we plowed into that thing, and it, and it broke out one of Brenda's lights on her car. And, uh, and I'm like, well, tough luck for you, sweetie. There you go, you know. Um, I still haven't fixed it. Uh, she'll remind me about that today, I'm sure. Um, but we plowed right into that. And the point of the story is that I didn't have any warning time. There was, there was actually no warning of what lie ahead. I tell you that by way of introduction because last week I introduced you to the final seven bowls of God's wrath that are being poured out here in Revelation Chapter 16, this is where we begin to see it. Now, the whole idea of the book of Revelation is that God gave the Apostle John a vision of what the end of the world was going to look like. And he did this strategically because he wanted to warn us. Like this picture of this bucket falling out of the back of the truck. Listen, God did, does not want us just to not have any warning time whatsoever, no warning of what lies ahead. No, he wants to warn us what lies ahead. Why? Because he loves us. And, and he desires, the Bible says, that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. And so God gives John this revelation of the end of the world, and the whole point, the big E on the I chart of the book of Revelation, is that God loves you, and he doesn't want you to go to hell. That's, that's what this is all about. So these visions of what's coming ahead, it's so that you swerve out of the way. That's the idea. So <clears throat> he, we, last week, we see these seven bowls of wrath. And just understanding, this is an oversimplification, but basically what happens in the book of Revelation is that God begins to pour out his wrath and he does so over an extended period of time. The, the tribulation period is seven years of tribulation. But what happens over the course of that time is that as he begins to pour out his wrath, it's, it's immediately coupled with this plea that we would repent. And so you have, in succeeding order, God takes his church and he protects them, takes them up to heaven, begins the tribulation period, but then people are coming to a saving faith in Christ throughout the tribulation period as, as the the wrath is poured out, but simultaneously, God's love is, is, and word to everyone is, don't suffer the wrath. Re- repent of your sins. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and so this is going on and on and on. So by the time we get now to the seven bowls of wrath that are being poured out, God has poured out, there's been many things that have happened leading up to this. This is the final act. These seven bowls of wrath is the final outpouring of God's wrath. 
And, and so we were introduced to this last week and we saw, hey, this is because God loves us that he continues to warn us about the judgment of sin and the outpouring of wrath that is now coming upon the earth. And the seven bowls of wrath is at an unprecedented level. What, and that's what we focus on. It's really kind of a bummer of a, of a chapter in the sense that what we're looking at here, our focus is God's wrath poured on the earth, poured out on the sea, poured out on the waters, poured out on the sun. This is what we're going to look at today. Revelation chapter 16, verse 1, Then I, John says, heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Last week, again, you'll recall, after the bowls of wrath were distributed to the angels uh, for delivery, then what happened was the temple of God was filled with smoke from the glory of his presence. And we read there in in, uh, Revelation 15 that nobody was permitted to enter the temple at all until the plagues were completed. Well, the plagues haven't been completed, and here we read in the first voice, or in the first verse of chapter 16, that there's this loud voice that's coming from the temple, and so we know, putting those two things together, that this voice is none other than the voice of the Lord himself, uh, and and he's the one speaking. So, the the first angel went, we continue in verse 2, and poured out his bowl Upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So, at this point in the tribulation, everybody on earth has made their choice, right? And so, what you have is you've you've got those that have made their choice to worship Christ, and you've got those who have made their choice to worship Antichrist. Okay, so, so everybody, it would appear, has made their choice. Um, now, for those that have chosen Christ, for the believers on the earth, even through these terrible judgments that we're now reading about that are being poured out, well, they've been sealed by God for their protection. So even though they're going through this tribulation period, what we're reading about here in the wrath being poured out, it's strategically and and entirely focused on those who have received the mark of the beast. It is not focused on those who have not received the mark of the beast. That's important. And so what's happened then is you've got those who have been sealed by God, um, marked by God, for protection through the final judgment, but everybody who chose not to be marked by the Holy Spirit, but rather to take the mark of the beast, well, for them, God now marks them, and we read about how does he mark them with this first bold judgment. He marks them with vile sores that, that, that show up all over their body. Now, this first bold judgment, it's very similar to the sixth plague that we read about in Egypt when God's plague was poured out there when Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the Israelites go, the the plague of boils. And so now here we have a very similar thing. We've got this plague that is poured out, this first vial, and you have these sores that that show up on everybody who's taken the mark. Now, it's interesting to consider that um, because of the way that this is is phrased here, that only those who took the mark of the beast 
are the ones who have these, these, these vile sores upon them. Well, the, people hypothesize and they say, gosh, I wonder, is it the actual process that the people went through to receive the mark in the first place? Is that the thing that actually precipitated these sores in the, in the physical realm? Yes, God poured out his wrath, and so this is a manifestation of God's wrath, but the question is, well, God, you know, what is the mark of the beast? Is it a tattoo? Is it some kind of RFD kind of chip that's put underneath the skin? We don't know exactly what it's going to be technologically, but we know, using the RFD chip as an example, that's sort of along the lines of what it will be in function because they, can't, they buy and sell, and they can't buy and sell without this mark. So it's, so it's probably something more than a tattoo, probably some sort of an electronic device that's, that's injected under the skin. We don't know for sure. But the speculation goes, well, does that then physically cause, is that the causative agent that causes these vile sores for everybody to, to break out with? We, we don't know the answer to that, and it's interesting to consider but here's what these vile sores are a graphic picture of. They're a picture for us of this simple truth, that there is always ultimately an outward manifestation of an inward sin. There's always ultimately an outward manifestation of an inward sin. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, men fall in private long before they fall in public. Interesting, taking a walk with that. You know, years ago, I, I, I worked as a paramedic and I was stationed in Corona. We had a guy who had uh, collapsed at work. He, he was at an animal hospital. And so there we got to the animal hospital. And we go in and we find the guy and he's pulseless and he's non-breathing. Well, we didn't know what was going on, but apparently he had some sort of a secret sin that none of his coworkers knew about. And it wasn't until we cut his shirt off him, trying to get access to him to start an IV and get the paddles on him and everything, that we discovered that he had taken marks that had ultimately taken his life. We found track marks all up the guy's arms. And apparently what had happened then is he having this secret sin that nobody else knew about, and it got to the point to where one lunchtime when everybody was gone, he went rummaging through all the cabinets there at the animal hospital and got medicine that was for the, the animals that he then injected himself with, and he overdosed and he died. This, these marks that he had taken upon his body, well, those marks ultimately took his life. And this is what we see here is that the marks that these people have taken now, they're manifesting this secret sin that was in their heart that, hey, now I took the mark of the beast and now what's happened is, man, the marks that they had taken are now taking them. Let me ask you a question. What is it that marks your life? Yeah, I know we're talking about the time of Antichrist. We're talking about the, the time of the tribulation period. But, but what is it now, here, today, that marks your life? Maybe you haven't taken the mark of the beast, but maybe, like this guy in Corona, you've begun taking things that are marking your life, well, that are poison to your life, things that are destructive to your life. What is it that you worship? See, listen, there is always, ultimately, an outward manifestation of that which we worship inwardly. Let me give you an example. If you worship inwardly, if you worship money, 
for example. It's going to show up outwardly. It's going to show up in, you know, what, what, what are you spending all of your time and your focus on? Are you spending your time and your focus and your available energy on, on getting money? It, well, it's going to show up in the time and the focus and the energy that you give to your spouse, that you give to your children, and so on. And so what is it that you're worshiping? See, with that in mind, take note again, look there in verse 2, the description of these sores that these people manifest, they're described as foul and loathsome. Now, if you're given to take in notes, you could circle that word foul, and nearby, you could write this down, because here's what that means in the Greek. It means that which is lacking in quality or character. That's what that word foul means. Something lacking in quality or character. Now, the same Greek word that is used here that we define foul, something that is lacking in quality or in character, well, it shows up throughout the New Testament, and it shows up communicating areas where there was a lack of quality, areas where there was a lack of character, a lack of a healthy way of thinking, a lack of a healthy way of feeling, a lack of a healthy way of acting, or a lack in the quality of the company that a person kept, or a lack of morality in their desires. See, the idea is that in rejecting Jesus Christ and in taking the mark of the beast, well, it resulted in the development of something foul, in the development of something profoundly unhealthy. Now, the other word used to describe these sores, not only foul, but loathsome. Again, circle the word where foul pertains to something that's unhealthy, something that's bad in character, loathsome, it pertains to something that is bad in effect. Here's the word you might write near that. You might write the word malignant. That's the idea. Just as this guy in Corona overdosed, his foul sin resulted in an unhealthy lifestyle and some unhealthy lifestyle choices, hey, I know what I'll do. When everybody's away at lunch, I'm going to find some animal narcotic and I'm going to inject that. Just as his actions resulted in, in something that was bad in character, well, now what's happened is you, 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 you have this, this person who now you've got this malignancy. Your, your sin results in an unhealthy lifestyle and it's only a matter of time before it, becomes, <coughs> before it becomes malignant, before this thing takes your life. That's the idea here. Listen, a Christ-rejecting world took Satan's mark. Now they're marked by God with an outward manifestation of an inward malignancy. That's what's going on. Verse 3, we continue. Then the second angel poured out his bowl... On the sea, now we're looking here at the second bowl of God's wrath being poured out. It's poured out on the sea. And it became as blood, as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Now some commentators say, well, this is just talking about the area of the Mediterranean Sea. That's, that's the sea they're talking about. No, no, this is the sea. This is the oceans. This is the seven seas. This is two-thirds of the earth's surface. Everything in them dies. It's a big deal. Everything died. Verse 4, And then the third angel poured out his bowl, now the third bowl of wrath, on the rivers and the springs of water, 
and they became blood, and I heard the angel of the waters saying, now before I read this note here, they've become blood, so you have now the same thing happening to the fresh water as has happened to all of the oceans. We'll come back to that. And then the angel there um, of the water says in verse 5, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord uh, Almighty, true, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Now you remember, back in, in Revelation chapter 6, we get this scene of these tribulation saints that have been martyred for their faith. They've been killed for their faith. All those that during the time of tribulation, that when they turned to Christ to, to call him Lord and Savior, the Antichrist, martyred them, put them to death. And they're under the altar there in Revelation chapter 6, and they're crying out to God, and they basically say to God, you know, how long is it going to be before you avenge our blood on, on those who dwell on the earth? Well, apparently the answer, the correct answer was in about 10 chapters. So there in chapter 6, how long till you avenge our, our blood? Well, in chapter 16, that's when I'm going to avenge your blood. And that's what we're looking at here. This is why the angel is, you know, says here in verse 6, God, you're righteous. This, is, this, is a right, this isn't a bad thing that you've done. Yes, you've turned all the waters to blood, fresh water, salt water alike, killed everything in the ocean, and you've given everybody blood to drink. You know what? That's not a bad thing. You're righteous. This is a righteous judgment. Why? Well, just as they shed the blood of the saints, you've given them blood to drink. That's what they tell him there. Now, interesting thing about blood. Uh, try and tiptoe carefully through what I'm about to say. Um, when blood is poured out, when blood is shed, it, it coagulates all by itself. It's, God designed your blood to coagulate so that if you are, are cut... You, you know, you don't bleed to death. Well, as a paramedic over the years, I've seen guys that, that have been sh shedding a lot of blood. And, and what happens is, is that when you're taking them to, to the hospital and they're bleeding like a stuck pig, like it can get pretty serious. Like my unit, the one I drove, had a, a patient compartment in the back and the cab up front where you would drive, uh, and <clears throat> there was a walk-through space that you could walk from the cab into the patient compartment and vice versa. Well, sometimes we would have to take towels and put them on the floor to create a dam between the two spaces because of what was going on there. Now, uh, what happens is that... You've got, because the description here is blood as of a dead man. And what is this picture? Well, when we would offload the patient and come back to our units, what would be waiting for us wasn't the fluid viscous thing that was, you know, we had to set up a dam for to pre prevent it from flowing into the cab. No, what you come back to is this congealed mess. And, and it's really disgusting to think about, but that's the idea here, is that 
the, the blood as of a dead man, they're referring to the sea and to the fresh waters as this congealed, stagnant mass. And you can think about it. Just imagine everything in the ocean, in every ocean, dead. It is, it is just everything just floating on the surface. It is just this stagnant, congealed mess. And imagine the foulness of the odor and everything in it. And whether or not this is actual blood, we don't know. I'll tell you a good hypothesis of what actually is going on here. It's very possible that this is a red tide. And, and, and understanding, if you've ever grown up at the beach, you're familiar with red tides. I grew up down in you know, Redondo Beach area. From time to time, we would have a red tide. And it's a localized event. You know, some, something that maybe over a half a mile or whatever, it's just a localized event. And what causes a red tide is you actually have this one-celled organism that is called a dinoflagellate, a dinoflagellate. And it, it, it's an interesting word. It's a Greek word and a Latin word mashed together. Dino uh, means whirling and flagellate means to scourge. And, and, you know, whether or not it gets it from its shape, you look at microscopically, it looks like a child's top, and, and I don't know if in the water it actually has a whirling motion, but it is a scourge because this one-celled organism uh, causes death and destruction. Everything, it kills everything that comes in contact with it. It's a toxic nerve uh, poison to people. So like if you eat fish that have died in a Red Sea, it can actually make you quite ill. And, and they had a, a situation back in the late 40s. I think it was like 1949. There was a, a red tide in Florida. It covered 60 miles, which is, which is like more than anybody has ever recorded before. And it was, it, everything died for like 60 miles. It created a lot of problems. And so it's, it's entirely possible that what we're reading here is that God turns all of the oceans. It's a red tide. And you say, well, what about the freshwaters? Well, dinoflagellates can, can live in freshwater or saltwater. So, so it's quite possible that that's the mechanism that's going on here. That's not as important, the how did it happen, as knowing that it happened and, and what it, it all looks like. You know, it's just that everything is dead and dying, and now you've got all this water that is as blood. That's all that's available to drink. Verse 8 It says, then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And notice just there at the beginning of verse 9, it says, and men were scorched with great heat. So in contrast to the first three bowls of God's wrath that is poured out during this time, now you've got this fourth bowl. Well, the first four are poured out directly on the earth, but the fourth one is poured out on the sun. And, and so now what happens is you've got this thing that God created for mankind to give us light, to give us warmth, to give us energy. Well, now this thing that has been the source of life for us becomes the source of death for so many. And they're being scorched by this thing. This fiery judgment is reminiscent of something that the prophet Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah 24. He said this, The earth mourns and dries up and the crops waste away and wither. Even the greatest people on earth waste away. The earth suffers for the sins of its people, for they've twisted God's instructions, violated His laws, and broken His everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must pay the price for their sin. They are destroyed by fire, and only a few are left alive. 
Now understand, one of the reasons that these bull judgments are so devastating is because the effects are going to be cumulative in nature. It's not like the first bowl is poured out and then it goes away and then the second bowl is poured out and then its effects go away. No, they build on one another and they all continue. So it's this cumulative effect. And so this is going to be a time when everybody on earth who has taken the mark of the beast is going to be afflicted with agonizing sores. They're going to be afflicted with the stench of death and disease from what's happening in the seas and in the fresh waters and in in the putrid water that they have to drink. And here now as well, they're going to be subjected to this scorching heat. And we don't know, again, the mechanism. What is this scorching heat that God allows to, to hit the sun? People speculate. They say, well, maybe what God's going to do is he's going to remove the ozone layer that protects us from the radiation from the sun, and that's going to cause people to be adversely affected. Others say, no, it says that he strikes the sun itself, so maybe this is a solar flare. We just had a solar flare a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago, something like that, and they cause havoc on our communication systems, but if they're big enough, they could actually kill you. So, so people are saying, well, maybe it's a solar flare. We don't really know. I'll tell you what it's not, and I don't say this to be joking, but I'll tell you what it's not. It's not global warming, okay? Global warming is a, is a phenomenon that's debated like, well, gosh, our, our earth has heated up and cooled down lots of times, and, and, you know, so is it real? Is it not real? Is it really a thing? Is it not a thing? When we talk about global warming, we're only co- talking about a couple of degrees change in temperature. Like that messes up ecosystems, but it doesn't cause what they're talking about here. So it's something significant. But listen, added on top of, imagine, you've got this intense heat that's burning people, and no doubt it's burning crops too. So what you've got is you've got the loss of two-thirds of the food source for the entire planet, the the oceans, everything's dead in them, and now everything on the earth is scorching, so all your crops are devastated. And what do you do when you're getting scorched in the sun? What sounds good? Well, I'd like something to drink right now. I'd like some water, please. Yes, here you go. Here's a cup of blood for you. You know, it's going to be a horrible time. Now, you would imagine, you would think that all of this stuff would cause men to cry out to God. Right? All this stuff ought to cause men to cry out to God. You'd think so, you'd be wrong. Verse 9, men were scorched with great heat and they cried out to God. No, they didn't. They blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Now watch, God's going to say that again. We're going to read about the, the fifth bowl that's poured out, this fifth plague. Verse 10, then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain, and they repented. No, they didn't. They blasphemed, verse 11, the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Twice, God says they didn't repent of their deeds. We'll come back to that, but listen. Again, we're seeing the signs. It becomes totally dark. This is reminiscent of what God did in Egypt during the plagues uh, during Pharaoh's time uh, in Exodus 10. Except for here now, the darkness is worldwide. And Jesus said that this was what was going to go down. He said this in Mark's gospel. He said, in those days, he's talking about the tribulation. He says, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Uh, the prophet Zephaniah 
describes the day of the Lord this way. He says, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And so this is God's wrath being poured out. Yet again, darkness comes over the land. Now, have you ever noticed that when the lights go out, your other senses are accentuated? They, they get more acute. Like the, the lights go out and all of a sudden you can hear the refrigerator turn on and on, cycling on and off in the other room. You can hear the axe murderer walking through the attic that's going to come get you, you know, there at night. Like just when the lights go out, all of a sudden you hear better and all. Well, if you've ever been laying in bed with a toothache or a headache or something, you know, yes, the, having the light off, if it's a headache, that might help you. But what, typically what happens is when you're hurting and the lights go off, it just exacerbates the pain. It's like you just think about the, you've got nothing to distract you. It's just that much more acute. And the, here with the body senses intense, intensified or in, you know, in the darkness, you've got this heightened sense of pain and agony. It's exactly what we see here. This fifth bowl goes out. It's pure darkness. And men are gnashing their tongues. They're just chewing. It's this constant chewing of their sons. And in ver- the end of verse 10, they nod on their tongues. It means conti- it, there's a continual sense to it. Just because they're, they're in such agony. Now, here's the deal. We've, we, we've looked right now at, at five of the bowls of wrath that are going to be poured out. I had a tough decision to make in the tackling of Revelation 16 because... What follows it, obviously, are the sixth and seventh bowl judgments. And what we're going to have there as we get into those, we're going to be looking at Armageddon. And there's a lot to look in that. So, so I'm going I'm to cut it off here with the first five bowls of wrath. But, but here's what I want you to understand here as we, as we say, okay, that's as far as we're going to get this week. What's our big takeaway? Here's what, here's what I want to take a walk with today and want you, want you to understand. What we see here, it's a vivid preview of the eternal judgment of God. What we have here is a vivid preview of the torment of hell. And, and, you know, Jesus, when he was talking in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 25, he described hell. He described God's eternal judgment in hell this way. He said, it is outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sound familiar to what we've just read here? That, that there's this, this darkness that comes upon the, the, the whole kingdom there and, and they nod their tongues because of the pain. You, you have this, this picture where there's no relief from the torment. And we see this reflected in these bold judgments. We have to remember that the judgment that we're reading about here in Revelation chapter 16 It's judgment that Jesus Christ took upon himself on the cross. Consider this. Think about Jesus' final three hours on the cross. He experienced the darkness and the torment that we read about here. He experienced the foul and loathsome sores of the scourging that he took, that we should have taken. He, He experienced the pouring out of the blood. He experienced the drinking of that bitter cup. The cup that he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass by me. But Lord, nevertheless, not my will be done. Your will be done. And he, and he, he was crucified for us. He endured the cross 
despising its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The, the place, the position of the, of the intercessor, of the advocate, and there he lives, the Bible says, ever, ever lives to pray for you and me by name. So Jesus took all of this penalty here, and I, I, I just want you to see, and we can't walk away from this now, hearing the heart of God, because there at the end of verse 9, and again at the end of verse 11, what does it tell us very pointedly twice in, in just these, these first 11 verses? Hey, it says, they did not repent and give him glory. The end of verse 11, they did not repent of their deeds. What's the heart of God coming through here? Repentance, turn. Why does God show us what's going down here because he doesn't want us plowing into that bucket, okay? God is telling us here today, yeah, I'm going to give you a picture of, of what the wrath of God is going to look like at the end of time. But I'm giving you a picture of it because I also want you to see the picture that Jesus paid the penalty for that wrath. He died on the cross for your sins in your place. And so that ought to cause us today to do at least a couple of things. Number one, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I hope you hear nothing more than Jesus loves you, God loves you, he does not want you to die in your sin, there is a horrible judgment that awaits all who reject him, but he says to you today, I, I offer to you life. He, offer, he says to you today that, listen, you can repent of your sin. You can turn. You today, the Bible teaches very clearly that God is the Savior and that we are those that need to be saved. The Bible teaches very clearly that, that all have sinned and fall short of the wages of God and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you'll confess your sins, the Bible says, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the heart of God. So if you're here today and you've never done that, I'll give you an opportunity to do that. But more than that, if you're here today and you say, well, I've, I prayed the prayer, I'm in, I understand. Yeah, thanks for letting me know that, you know, I'm going to hit something hard, but I got the warning and, I, and so I ain't going to hit it. Okay, if you believe that that's, if, if, if that's the case, and if you believe that what I've just read is true, who are you telling? Because the fact of the world is, is that this is the fate of everybody who rejects Jesus Christ. And if we believe this is true and we walk out of these doors fine and content with where I'm at and, hey, where are we going to go for lunch? but we don't take it to heart that this is the fate of, a, of an unrepentant world. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, we should tell somebody. We should live our lives in such a way that warns those that are perishing.